morning we continue. Can you hear me? How about now? There we go. Well, if you're just joining us, we are in the middle of a sermon series through the Old Testament entitled Epic, The Journey from Insignificant to Magnificent. And as we study the scriptures, we find time and time again that it is God's preference, his preference to use broken, seemingly unqualified people to accomplish his redemptive purposes. Moses didn't think of himself as the right man for the job. Oh, please, God, send someone else, he says in Exodus chapter 4. This is Moses, after all, the fugitive, the murderer. He has fled his old life and settled into something quite comfortable at this point tending his father-in-law's flock. As you may remember, Moses was born during a time when the Israelites were an enslaved people. While living in Egypt after the time of Joseph, God's chosen people grew numerous and powerful. And the Egyptians saw how much they grew and they became afraid of them. And so they enslaved the Hebrew people. It's interesting that oppression often comes from a place of fear. And as they continue to multiply under forced labor, Pharaoh decides to do the unthinkable. And having the baby boys that are born of the Hebrews killed in order to control his slave population. And so when Moses is born, his mother hid him as long as she could, and after three months, she places him in a basket and sets him in the Nile River, where he will be found by Pharaoh's daughter. And after having been raised in Pharaoh's household, one day Moses sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and Moses reacts by killing the Egyptian. And when Pharaoh hears of what happened, he seeks to kill Moses, and so Moses flees to Midian. And after getting married and being entrusted with the flock of his in-laws, their livelihood, at this point in the story, Moses has completely moved on from that past life in Egypt. He's married. He's got a son. He's got a job. Life is going good for Moses. But everything is about to change. As Moses is free grazing his father-in-law's flock, he goes beyond the wilderness and comes to a mountain called Horeb, which means wasteland. And we're first told in verse 3-2 that an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the bush. And Moses looks and sees that the bush is blazing, yet it is not being consumed. This, friends, is bizarre and not natural. Moses, recognizing that this is completely not natural, says, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is being burned up. Remember, he's out in the middle of the wilderness doing his day job, probably 
wondering if he's hallucinating at first out in the wilderness. He knows this is unusual, but he has to come take a closer look. Moses is curious. And in verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him from out of the bush. This isn't just an angel as the, first, as the text first tells us, but God is personally delivering this message to Moses. Notice that before God speaks, he waits for Moses to come closer. God waits for Moses to take that second look. And God says, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet for the place which you are standing is holy ground. The ground is holy not because of the significance of this physical place. It is holy because God is there. Notice that there is a clear and steady progression of God's presence as the reader slowly discovers alongside with Moses that God has chosen this moment to reveal himself. And what does this God want us to know about him? Before we learn God's name, before we hear about God's intentions, we are first to understand that this God is holy. Come no closer, remove your sandals for the ground in which you are standing is holy. Holy is one of those words that we hear so often that they begin to lose their meaning. But simply put, holy means to be sacred or set apart. And to say that God is holy, to say that God is set apart from us, does not mean that God is relationally distant, thanks be to Jesus. It simply means that God does not share in our unholiness. God is different from us because God is fundamentally good. God is holy, special, without sin or ill intention. God is not corrupted with hate or selfishness. God only speaks truth. God keeps his promises. God is holy because God is loving. Take off your sandals and recognize that the presence, that you are in the presence of him who is perfectly different from the darkness of this world. And so God reveals himself as fire and as light. God is holy. And then God says to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have observed the misery of your, my people. I have heard their cry. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here, friends, we learn the true nature and identity of this holy God. God isn't just merely aware of the suffering of his people. He observes it. He listens to it. He knows it. God is attentive to the pain of his people. And he has physically come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. 
God is doing something about their pain. The word deliver there literally means to violently tear away. God will have to rip the Hebrews free from the grasp of Pharaoh. That he will lead them to a good place. A very hard journey, but a good place. And of course, God says those four life-changing words to Moses. I will send you. But God, who am I to do such a task? Moses responds. The rest of Exodus 3 and the first half of 4, Moses will go on with his list of objections and excuses. But who should I say sent me? What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? By the way, God, I'm a terrible communicator. Until finally, Moses just says to God, please send somebody else. Life was going pretty great for Moses. He had a wife, kid, job. And after all, he wasn't one of the enslaved people back in Egypt. Don't be fooled, friends. Sometimes, if not most of the time, when God is asking us to do something, it's not always something that we want to do. That's why God is holy. (laughs) Meanwhile, we seem to live in a culture that values what's doing right for you instead of what's doing right. God has an answer and solution for every excuse and concern that Moses raises. If you can't speak, well, I'll send Aaron with you. If they don't listen, and they won't, by the way, then I will perform signs and wonders through you. And if they ask who sent you, God says in Exodus 3.13 and 14, tell them, I am who I am sent you. The divine name which most believe is pronounced Yahweh implies continued, unfinished action. I am being that I am being, or I am the one who always is. The name suggests that it is inappropriate to refer to God as was or will be, for the reality of God is continuous. Always is. Perhaps the most important thing God tells Moses before sending him on his epic journey comes in verse 3.12 when Moses asks, God, who am I to do this task? God says it doesn't matter who you are. What matters is that I am going to be with you. Moses fails to understand that this journey isn't really about him at all. 
Who Moses is is not the question at all. The question is, who is with Moses? God says, it doesn't matter who you are. I don't care. What matters is that I am with you. Perhaps the central theme of Exodus 3 and 4, and in the entire book for that matter, is God's presence through the journey. God will provide for their needs, perform miracles, single-handedly defeat the greatest army of the age, lead them through the wilderness by fire and cloud. God will be with them. When God tells Moses that he will be with him, it isn't a matter of making Moses feel a certain way. But it's the assurance of God doing exactly what God promised he would do. God will be with them. Even in the wilderness, even when they suffer, even when they don't see God or feel God, God will still be with them. Because God made a promise. And that's who God is. The phrase, I am with you, is repeated over a hundred times in the Old Testament. And when Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 28, I will be with you always, he does not mean that life will always be easy. But in and through each season of life, there God will be working, bending us toward his will, bending us toward love and faith and hope, making us holy with him. For the God who is and was and is to come, the God who always is, the great I am, is eternal. Do you understand, friends, what that means exactly? It means that the same God who was at work promising what was going to happen in Moses' life, that same exact God who always is continues to be now. The same exact God who is actively, lovingly involved in what's happening is the same God who is actively, lovingly involved in this very moment, in your very heart. For he is Yahweh. His name implies continuous and present action, which includes now. God tells Moses in verse 312, This shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this exact spot, on this mountain. You catch that? The sign of God's presence for Moses will be found as the people gather together to worship God. 
Jesus says, when two or three gather in my name, there I am in their midst. The presence of God found as we worship God. In worship, we become more aware of God, not necessarily because of how we feel in those moments, but because of the promises of God that we proclaim together. Because of the call of God that we each are reminded of, the call that God has for all of us. For the God who said those same life-changing words to Moses, I will send you, this God says to you. When Jesus says, I am sending you to make disciples, to make people who love, who care, God went with Moses as he called him for this redemptive task. And God, friends, the God who always is, Yahweh, is with you as he sends you to do your task of love. Yahweh will be with us. May we all heed the call of Christ on our lives. Let's pray. God, as we look at the state of our world, the state of the brokenness around us, the oppression that we see, there you are calling us, sending us, and at the same time reminding us that it is you who goes with us, Lord. Make us increasingly aware of your presence and activity in our lives. God, thank you that you loved us enough to send Jesus. And we're reminded that you love this world enough to send Jesus through us now. May we heed that call. Amen.